Welcome to Sparking Wholeness, where we talk all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. I'm your host, Erin Carey. I'm a survivor of bipolar disorder and a self-proclaimed nutrition nerd who loves asking why. As a certified integrative nutrition health coach, my goal is to help people find balance, and I want to help you find ways to spark wholeness in your life. For more information, check out sparkingwholeness.com or on the Instagram handle, Sparking Wholeness. And now, get ready for today's awesome show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Sparking Wholeness. And today, I am joined by Lee Richardson. Lee Richardson spent her educational and professional career learning human behavior. Her focus shifted in 2003 to understanding how behavior can be modified with the use of neurofeedback and biofeedback. Lee holds a Master of Science in Counseling from the University of North Texas and completed her didactic training for neurofeedback there. Lee is the founder and clinical director of the Brain Performance Center located in Dallas, Texas. The Brain Performance Center is dedicated to improving all aspects of brain health, utilizing an integrated approach to create change in the brain on the conscious and subconscious level. Lee is an author, speaker, and a licensed professional counselor, national certified counselor, and is board certified in neurofeedback and biofeedback. So Lee, thank you so, so much for being on the show. This is such an honor. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited to hear about your work and what you do. So just getting started, tell me a little bit about yourself, about the Brain Performance Center and how you got started with all of this. I, I want to hear all about it. Well, I got started through one of my children. I have twin boys. And when they were in the second grade, one of them got hit by a car. And the other one saw it. And actually, I didn't know who to be more worried about. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. We go to the ER. And we were were blessed. Um, We got through it until we got to fifth grade. Mm. When we get to fifth grade, my son comes to me and he says, Mom, I really need you to help me. I said, okay. And he said, have I have ADHD. And I said, I don't know what ADHD is. How do you know what it is? But I said, I'm here to help you. So I went to the school and I talked to the school counselor and and she said, you know, your son's never failed anything. He's never been a behavior problem. He doesn't have ADHD. He's lazy. And I said, okay, how do I help him? He, He asked for my help. How do I do it? And she said, well, put him on medication. I said, just tell me, tell me there's nothing wrong with my son. Why would I give my son speed? Wow. Yeah. That's what Adderall, Ritalin, it, it is speed. And yeah. she said, well, that's all you can do. And I started thinking, you know, no, that is not all I can do. And I started looking for answers. And I found a neurologist. And I put my son in the program. And I actually have been in ICU twice with brain injuries. So I put myself in the program. And I was so, it was a life-changing for me. I was so impressed. The first time I went into ICU, I lost my sense of smell. And and they told me that was from the the brain injury. I mean, the olfactory nerve is a direct connection mm -hmm. to the brain. And when I did no feedback, I got my sense of smell back. And that was such an amazing thing. It really was. Because, you know, at the time, my boys were like two years old. And I thought, well, if I have to lose a sense, oh, thank goodness it's smell. Not my eyes, not my, yeah, you know, not for my sure. ears. Uh-huh. But smell is associated. When you think about Thanksgiving, we've got one coming up. I think about what I smell. Mm-hmm. I don't think about 
what somebody was wearing or where they sat. I just think about the smell. And, you know, before you taste something, you smell it. That's important. And that activates, helps activate digestive enzymes in your saliva, right? Like it's that whole preparation for digestion. So that affects so much more than just smell. That's so interesting. So that from that, that kind of was a a turning point for me. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do a career change. Mm -hmm. And luckily I had the right, you know, I could do that. Went up to UNT. And at that time they actually had a neurofeedback lab running. And they don't anymore, Hmm. but did my didactic training, did an internship with that neurologist, ended up worked for him for five years. And in 2009, I started my own practice. Awesome. Wow. I love um, that it was your child that prompted this because that's so similar to my story. The birth of my third child is what prompted me to look into integrative nutrition and looking into just kind of some alternative therapies because he was struggling with breathing problems and he was struggling with chronic ear infections. And I thought, well, gosh, what if some dietary changes could, could make a difference, you know? And so I started looking beyond, I ended up in nutrition school. So it's so funny how things with our kids will prompt these big life changes. I I love hearing that. Um, So tell me a little bit, what is neurofeedback for somebody who, you know, has never heard of the word before? What's a quick um, explanation of what it is? So it's training your brain to get into a regulated state. And you think back with Pavlov and the dogs, that was operant conditioning. And so it's operant conditioning on steroids. You Mm. put a cap on your head and I measure the brain waves and I recognize where the deficiency or it's either overactivated or underactivated. It's all dysregulation is. And creating change in the brain is easy. Hmm. That is not hard. Getting the brain to hold the change is the hard part. And what neurofeedback does, it's a learning process. The feedback loop is between that somebody will be sitting, looking at a monitor, watching a movie. And for that movie to stay bright, their brain has to change the way it's wiring and firing. It's Mm got to change the power, which are the slow, medium, and fast ways. It's got to change the way it's sharing information, which is coherence. It's got to change the timing, the phase. So it's very um, non-invasive, but it's, and it's a process that occurs at the subconscious level. You know, men are so interesting. They'll say, okay, Lee, I'm here. Tell me what to do. Okay. I'd like for you to sit there, you know, relaxed, alert, and focused. And that's <laughs> going to make this work. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know, and after three or four minutes, they'll look at me and they'll say, if you would just tell me what to do, yeah. I would do it. And my response is, if I knew what to tell you, I would tell you, but the brain has to figure it out and the brain will. Wow. We're not asking the brain to do anything it doesn't want to do. Hmm. Gosh. And I think the brain is probably one of my favorite organs in the body because it is such a mystery and because it, it affects how the brain functions affects everything else in the body. And that is so fascinating to me that you can train it, I guess is what you're saying in that way, right? To make Absolutely. these changes. Wow. So, so what kind of people is this beneficial for? What kind of people see positive results with neurofeedback? It's really beneficial for everybody. I would say my biggest groups are ADHD, mm. people that, you know, mainly people that don't want to go on medication mm-hmm. or medications no longer working for. Right. Them. Yeah. So ADHD, depression, anxiety, 
do a lot of work in the autistic community. Mm. Um, with, and there's really anybody that wants to take their their performance up a level, whether it's personal, mm-hmm. whether it's professional. You know, to train, the, the name of my book is Turn Your Brain On to Get Your Game On. And that mm-hmm. to me is what it is all about. Everything you do, you don't do, how well you do it, it all depends on how that brain's yeah. working. Yeah. Now, and let's talk about your book for a minute because I really, like I said, I'm, I'm a brain health nerd. I love all things brain health. And I really love the way this is written. It's not super long. It doesn't have... I feel like it's a brain manual um, is, is the way I look at it. And I don't know if you would say the same thing, but um, yeah, what, what prompted you to write it? What, you know, made you think, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing, cause I know you're doing a thousand other things. So, so what inspired you to put a book out there? Well, you know, it's, it's my practice before I work with anybody, I do a, a complimentary consultation mm-hmm. and that's more about me. I want to be sure that I believe I can help you. And a lot of times, you know, and a lot of those consultations don't push through, but I've noticed over the years, there's so much guilt and shame. People come in and, and, you know, I'm, I'm depressed or, or I'm mm. anxious. And it's almost like they're ashamed of it and they feel guilty. And, you know, I know I just need to power through. And it is okay yep. to be depressed. Yep. It is okay to get anxious. Mm-hmm. And that's what really prompted me to write the book is we've got to just mental health is just as important as physical health. Absolutely. Everybody yeah. wants to talk about their cholesterol. You know, and they get to the gym and, and, uh-huh. but not everybody wants to talk about, you know, I'm not happy. I'm not engaged in life because they think there's nothing they can do about it and they're wrong. Right. And yeah. that's really what motivated me is, you know, just get the word out there. Mental health is not taboo. Right. Uh, it's, we all experience it at some point in our life. Mm-hmm. We're all going to be touched by it. Mm-hmm. And as you know, it's a, it's a very physical thing, you know, it, it does affect all parts of the body. And I think everybody, yeah, maybe because it's, it's so isolating. That's why we have this taboo stigma attached. Um, I, I love that. I love creating awareness for all things, mental health. And, um, I just, I think that is so important. And I think it's important. The fact that you said, or that you don't have to be stuck there, that we can see positive changes. Um, I think the other thing you mentioned going a little bit off of the book, but I saw parts of it in the book is that there are a percentage of people that um, medication doesn't work great for them or they have, I mean, I've been on various meds throughout my life. um, And there were some that I just had wacky side effects with. And I prefer not being on medication because of the side effects and how I feel like it dulls my brain. And I know that's not the best thing for everybody, but for some people, they are looking for something else. And so I love that you offer an alternative solution um, through through neurofeedback and through what you're doing. I think that that's so needed for people to be aware that there are other things out there. Um, and I, hope that, I think that that helps reduce the stigma as well, you know, um, just to see that. Have you seen that change as you work with patients, how it's kind of helped reduce the stigma in their own mind? Absolutely. You know, and part of what we do here, we take an integrated approach. So we do some cognitive behavioral mm-hmm. therapy. 
we work off of treatment goals. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it starts a lot of times with just acceptance. Mm -hmm. Accept yourself for where you are. And once you accept yourself where you are, then you can start to move forward. You know, I always say lean into it, embrace it, Mm -hmm. don't hide from it. Because the only way you're going to move through it is to lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's so good. I love that. Um, tell me a little bit. Um, I read in the book, I thought it was really interesting about how our brain ages and, you know, mom brain is a thing. <laughs> um, I've had three kids and my last two babies I had in my thirties and that brain fog, it's funny, the brain fog, I, I recovered quickly with the first one that I had when I was younger, but with the other two, the brain fog, it was not as quick of a recovery. And still there are some things that I, you know, we'll start to do one thing and then I'm like, Oh wait, what am I doing? You know, those things happen to us as we age. Um, and you mentioned that what are some things that, that we, especially women in the thirties or older that we can do to prevent our brains from declining in that way? Do you, what kind of tips do you offer for, for women like that? Well, you know, the brain's kind of, it's got a theory, use it or lose it. Mm-hmm. And when you don't, when you're not using those neural pathways, they just kind of shut down and stop working. Yeah. So keep yourself in a learning mode. And it doesn't, you don't, it doesn't have to be academics. If you like to cook, learn how to cook a new cuisine. Hmm. If you, if you enjoy photography, take a class in it. But anytime you're learning, you're, you're creating new, you're keeping those neural pathways open. Um, Do things a different way. If you always brush your teeth with your right hand, brush your teeth with your left hand. If you always drive the same way to the, to work or to the grocery Mm -hmm. store. Drive a different way. Keep okay. your brain in a learning mode. Oh, that's so good. Just engaging it in a different way than you normally would. As sim- something as simple as driving a different way. I would not even think about that. That is awesome. Um, thanks. That's, that's so interesting. And then movement. You know, I know movement is important. I wonder, I recently read that people who play tennis um, live longer (laughs) than people who don't. Do you think it has to do with the coordination and the different movements and going back and forth, keeping their brain alert? I I think the brain needs movement hmm. and absolutely exercise is key for a healthy brain. And there's, you know, that we've looked at exercise in relation to sleep and to Mm -hmm. so many different depression, anxiety, Mm -hmm. and no matter how you look at it, exercise adds value. Whether oh, it's yeah. tennis or golf or running or just mm-hmm. going to the gym, exercise yeah. adds value. Yeah, no, that's true. I know for me, it makes a huge difference in my mental health um, and, and every, you know, and all over health. But um, wow. So back to the book, um, who did you write this for? You know, I know um, you already see lots of patients. Who, who's the general audience for this book? I think it's for people that feel there's nothing they can do that, mm. you know, I, I'm depressed. I'm going to be depressed the rest of my life. I'm anxious. My mother was anxious. It's just the way it is, you know, to give them hope that yeah. you can change the way your brain's wiring and firing and you can do it. And there's a lot of suggestions on what they can do on their own at home. Not everybody wants to do neurofeedback or wants yeah. to do neurostimulation or wants to do psychotherapy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but just to know that you, by changing your sleep patterns, by changing your, your diet, by putting some exercise into your life, yeah. 
you, I mean, it's as simple as working on your breathing mm-hmm. because when we're talking it, I'm taking 12 to 14 breaths a minute. I have to right, right. everything out, <laughs> but my optimal breath rate and everybody's optimal breath rate is between four and seven breaths per minute. Hmm. And to breathe that slowly is hard. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of work. Yeah. And so if you do nothing but work on your breathing, if you change your breath rate, you change your heart rate. Hmm. You create heart rate variability. That creates wellness. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's so good. It's funny. I was talking to a friend about breathing specifically the other day, because, you know, this is a time of year when we've got a lot going on and everybody's stressed and we're running around and lots of activities. And it's so hard to sit down and, okay, I'm going to breathe in, you know, like we just, we go, go, go. And even, um, you know, at night when I'm going to sleep, I know how important it is to breathe through my nose and, and I catch myself thinking and I realize, oh, I'm, I'm mouth breathing. Okay. Go back to breathing through my nose and go back to, you know, trying to get into that rest and digest mode. It's hard. We are, we just go, go, go. And we don't give ourselves a chance to breathe. So I, I think that's huge. Yeah. And what about, um, sleep? What happens to the brain when we sleep? Um, how important is quality sleep for brain health? Sleep is the most important thing because all day long you have these neuron and dendrites and they're wiring mm-hmm. and firing and they're creating toxic waste. Mm. And the only time these little glial cells come out to clean that mess up mm-hmm. is when you're asleep. And more and more research is coming out showing insomnia being linked to Alzheimer's disease. Yes. Because the brain, if you're not getting the sleep, the brain is not getting the restoration. It's not getting the renewal that it needs. Yeah. And, and if we don't have that renewal, I mean, it throws off everything, including our hunger hormones, our, all of our hormones, really. I mean, there are so many things that are thrown off if we don't get good sleep. And so I think that that is so important for people. We focus so much on nutrition we focus on movement, which again, those are great things, but sleep. Um, I'm so glad that you emphasize sleep because I think it gets underemphasized a lot of times or, we think, oh, you know, if I, I had four hours of sleep, well, I feel fine. I'll be okay. What do you say is the optimal time for sleep, for restful sleep at night? Well, you know, they still say seven to eight hours. Mm-hmm. And I personally believe that. I have people tell me that they operate fantastic with four to five hours sleep. I think that is unusual. Mm-hmm. I think for most of us, we need in that seven to eight hours. Yeah. And it needs to be quality sleep. It, you know, not just laying there tossing and turning because then when you go, when you do that, you wake up and I'm so tired. I need a nap and napping will upset your sleep cycle. Mm. When you're in your sleep cycle, your circadian rhythm is set in your brain along the sensory motor strip. So sleep is something that a lot of people have to really, really work hard. Yeah. I wonder why it's so hard for people to get a good restful night's sleep. Do you have any tips that you share with people on how to improve their quality of sleep? Absolutely. You need structure around your sleep. You need to go to bed at the same time every night and get up at the same day. You need to have your little wind down routine, Mm -hmm. you know, to kind of tee up that sleep in the brain. Um, you need, some people find it helpful to drink hot tea. Mm -hmm. So for me, I take a bath and I, Gotta, when it, once I get out of that tub, I am gone. 
Uh -huh. doesn't matter if it's 10 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh -huh. That is my signal to my brain yeah. to turn yeah. it off. Hmm. So your brain needs consistent routine um, for a good night's sleep, right? Is that what you're saying? It does. It really does. I mean, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, mm -hmm. is the number one recognized cure for insomnia. It's because mm -hmm. a lot of us can't, you know, a lot of people sleep with their cell phone in the bed with them. Yeah. A lot of them go to sleep and, and the TV is on all night long. And both of those are emitting a blue light. Mm -hmm. And that blue light stimulates the brain. Yes. So just those simple changes mm -hmm. are very hard for a lot of people to make. They are so hard. Um, I know personally, <laughs> my husband loves to go to sleep watching Friends, and he turns the TV off before he goes to sleep. But that blue light, you know, I'm I am more sensitive, I think, to the blue light than he is. And I'm like, I need the light off because I need to go into that preparing to sleep mode. And so, do you do you recommend for people a time limit to shut down the screens and shut down all of that um, that activity that we get from the blue lights? I would say a minimum of 30 minutes, you know, 30, 30 to 45 minutes, mm -hmm. but you just need to kind of wind down yeah. and, you know, take, take 10 minutes and be grateful, mm -hmm. be thankful, yeah. practice a little mindfulness. Mm -hmm. um, and mindfulness is nothing more than staying in the present. Mm -hmm. Don't get lost in the past. Don't start worrying about the future. Stay right where you are. Stay yeah. present. Yeah. Oh, that's so huge. And it's so hard these days. Uh, we have so much that we're doing. And I think that that's so important to know that if we don't do these things now, I think our brains really are going to feel the effects later on down the road. I mean, I, I read a study recently about my generation, our chances of, of getting Alzheimer's is tripled than what it is now, I guess like by, I can't remember what it was, by 2050 or something, the, the rates will triple. And I'm just going, okay, so what can I do now, you know, to prepare to fight that later on? I know I have it in my genes, but from what you're saying, I also know I can rewire my brain and I can change my brain and I can change those neural pathways. Um, and I think that that is so important for people to hear that we're not stuck, you know? It is. And to know that, you know, there's hope. You can do anything that you really want to do if you're willing to do the work. If you're, yes. you know, that's, yeah. that's, you know, um, I always say self-discipline is self-care mm. and self-care is self-love. Yeah. And it's the self-discipline yeah. part that get, makes it really hard. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah, it does. And, and we can so easily talk ourselves out of the things that are beneficial for us, you know, or we talk ourselves into, we, we talk down to ourselves. We have negative, negative neural pathways in our, in our thought patterns, right. Um, that we've just done for years and years. And it's so hard to change the way we think and change the way we do things. Well, you know, we all have self-defeating thoughts. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I have these two friends, the shoulds and the must. Yeah. You do that. <laughs> You must mm -hmm. do that. And it doesn't work. Yeah. It, it just makes me feel guilty and shameful that I didn't do it. Yeah. And, you know, for some people, everything's a catastrophe. You know, everything. And then there's the fortune tellers. I can tell you how that is going to end, and it is not going to be in my benefit. <laughs> so we all have negative, those self-defeating negative thoughts. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. automatic, automatic negative thoughts, ants. And they go mm-hmm. so quick that, you know, you don't even realize you're just all of a sudden you're like, you know, I'm irritable. I'm grumpy. Mm-hmm. And you don't realize why until you start focusing on where'd that thought, where'd that come from? Mm-hmm. Got to catch those ants. ever wonder if you're the only woman who runs errands in her yoga pants so it will look like she went to the gym? Or how about the only mom who feeds her kids raw cookie dough? Or are you the only one who cooks her family cold cereal for dinner? Do you need more laughter and less loudness? More self-love and less self-loathing? More joy and less judgment? You're not alone. Come to the living room a place where we get comfy, candid, and confident together. Come seeking sanctuary and leave feeling renewed. We are saving a seat for you. Give yourself some living room today. Do you struggle with knowing the right food for your lifestyle? Is there really a one right way to eat? As a chronic dieter, I was always so confused by the food rules and the fad diets. Where to even start? That's why I decided to go into health coaching. As your health coach, I will help you find the solution that is right for you. I will help you find balance. Unlike most dietitians and nutritionists, I focus on a whole person approach, not just food. I address stress, sleep patterns, underlying root issues, and so many other contributing factors to health. And as a mental illness survivor, I love talking about ways to fire up brain health. If you're interested in learning more and maybe even a complimentary consultation, contact me at www.sparkingwholeness.com or message me on Instagram through the handle sparkingwholeness. And now let's get back to the show. What's the best way to catch those ants? What, what do you, how, how do you catch them? How do you change them? I think when you find yourself getting into a negative mode or irritable mm-hmm. or grumpy, stop and ask, okay, why? Mm-hmm. What were you just thinking about? Because we think, we're constantly thinking, how many times have you driven someplace and you, you, don't, you don't know if you turn left or right yeah. or if you hit a red light. Uh-huh. You just got in the car and you went and you're there. Everything is so automatic. That yeah. I always say, if, if you realize all of a sudden you're starting to feel a little sad and blue, ask yourself why. And pay attention to what's going on in your brain. Mm. And then yeah. when you realize where that negative is come from, coming from, fight back with positive. Positive affirmations are so helpful. Mm-hmm. And there's an app called Think Up, mm, and it will uh-huh. give you different categories, many different categories that you can go in and you can choose affirmations. Then you can record those in your own voice. And that is so important because when you hear that in your own voice, 
the subconscious picks up on that. Oh, that's me. Uh, And you can use those positive affirmations to fight those negative thoughts. That is so cool. You know, I actually have that app (laughs) and I was using it for a while. And I just, again, like with all things, it's so easy to get distracted and get out of the habit. Um, But that's so good. I need to, especially this time of year, I need to get back into that. Um, Yeah, I love that. Um, That's such a good, a good tip there. Um, So going back to the whole positive thoughts and, and, um, and changing the way we think, like, what do you think are some, are there mantras? Are there things that, that you, um, encourage people to use to capture those negative thoughts? Like what are some tools in that way? Well, I, I, I do believe in mantras. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found it very help, helpful back in the fall. My office was, uh, the tornado destroyed everything in it. And my mantra was, I'm going to come back bigger and better and stronger. And that got me through. That motivated me. Hmm. But, you know, I'll encourage people to just do a daily thought log. Hmm. When you have, when you find yourself being all negative, jot down what you're thinking about. Because Mm -hmm. then when you go back at the end of the day and you look at that, you go, well, why would, I had no reason to think that way, Hmm. you know? And put them, mm-hmm. a lot of us are not real self-aware. Mm-hmm. We just, yeah. We're just not. It's not bad. It's not good. It's just that we're not self-aware. And I think once you can re- create a level of self-awareness, then you can, can become ready to start to change your behavior. Negative thoughts mm-hmm. create negative feelings, creates negative behavior. Yeah, no, that's so true. And there's so many times I've gotten into arguments with my husband that have nothing to do with anything between us. It's about something that happened earlier in the day that bothered me. And so now I'm like taking it out on him, you know? And I think that that's, I need a thought log. I need, because I'm not super self-aware. I, you know, go to therapy and I, I'm constantly trying to be more self-aware, but it just is not, I prefer to avoid negative feelings, you know? And so I have to capture those thoughts. I have to be aware of what's going on because it's going to come out sideways. And um, I think a lot of us, we, we grew up doing that probably for protective reasons, but it's not super helpful in the real world. And it does bite us in the butt, you know, at some point <laughs> with, with our relationships or, or, or whatever. So um, I think that's really, that's awesome. It does. And it hurts our ability to, for our personal relationships mm-hmm. and even at work. Yeah. You know, we all know somebody that just is always in a bad mood mm-hmm. or grumpy or yeah. please don't let me sit next to that person for lunch, you know, yeah. that we avoid because of those negative thoughts. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they're not even aware, mm-hmm. you know, I'll have people come in and we'll, we'll start talking. I'm like, wow, you having a bad day? <laughs> no. Well, let me play back to you what I just heard. <laughs> yeah. And then when I do, they're like, oh, I didn't realize I sounded that negative. Uh-huh. So that's self-awareness. And, you know, yeah. if, if you have somebody in your life that you can say, help hold me accountable, mm-hmm. you know, gently hold me yeah. accountable. Yeah, no, that's good. It's funny. I actually, uh, my husband is actually a licensed professional counselor. I didn't tell you this beforehand, Um, but I have learned a lot about active listening from him Mm -hmm. and, you know, trying to 
when, when people are expressing thoughts to me to reflect back what they say, you know, those kinds of things. And for him to reflect back what I say and like, oh, it sounds like you're, you know, those, those kinds of statements have been helpful for me because I'm like, oh, dang, I am being really negative right now. I didn't realize I was being so negative until he catches me on that, you know? And I, I think that that's so helpful um, because we don't catch ourselves as, as much as somebody else can catch us in those, in those modes, you know? And he knows how to do it the right way. Yeah. You know, that's what makes it hard in relationships because not, not everybody's had the training and, you know, sometimes it, it, it comes more negative at the person than it's mm -hmm. intended. So yeah. you're lucky. You've got to yeah. do it. I mean, you know, it's, it, I'm lucky, but at the same time, it's funny. I'm going to have him on as a guest soon talking about marital conflict, because just because you know the right way to do things doesn't mean you do them the right way, right? Uh, true words, very true words. <laughs> yeah. um, so tell me a little bit more um, about the book. What are some takeaways? What are some things um, for, for readers who get your book? What are some things they can expect to take away from the book? Well, I think it'll start with they'll get a better understanding of the physical mental connection mm. because the gut, the gut brain connection, oh, yeah. you know this. I you've love had, that you added that in. You've had people on your podcast that talked about uh -huh, that. Uh -huh. um, that is so huge. Yeah. And the heart brain connection. Mm -hmm. You know, people kept saying, well, you know, if my heart stops, it's more important. I'll have, you know, I'll die. Well, what, mm. who do you think tells that heart to beat? The yeah. brain. Yeah. You know, so understanding that and just the, what I call the emotional influencers, depression, anxiety, mm -hmm. grief, trauma. And unfortunately, everybody is going to have some of those in mm -hmm. life. Yeah. You know? And understanding how different we, we are on a cognitive level. We all learn differently. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. You know, and I think lifestyle choices, we mm -hmm. need to really understand how important the lifestyle choices that we make are. Mm -hmm. And we need to stop and think about how much social media, mm -hmm. uh, because what I see with social media, media is it's made it a comparative society. Yes. And you know what happens when you compare? You got a winner and a loser. And so much of what you see on social media is not true. It's very right. Um It's just not reality. And if that's what, particularly the, the young adults and teenagers, because they grew up with that technology. Mm -hmm. in, and if that's what you're comparing yourself to, that's going to put some negative energy in your head. That's so true. And I think that we, we forget to emphasize how, how detrimental the social media society can be in that way. I think, you know, there are so many things that um, I don't think I realize I, I became, I don't know what the, what the word is exactly, but um, for example, things in my house, I don't think I realized that things in my house were not fancy or not, you know, until I started seeing other people's houses. That's when I started, I guess, judging my own house. That's what I mean by that. Like looking at things going, Oh, well I need to update this or I need, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to do those things, but it seems like in me, there's like this increasing need for more stuff, more stuff. And if I don't have this stuff, then I've, it's a, like you said, like a competition kind of thing, like to be better, to be equal as, I don't know, but it has started an interesting thing. I know in my own heart and mind when I am 
seeing other people's business all the time, you know, it's interesting. And so you've seen an increase in, um, anxiety comparison, um, feelings of inferiority since social media has taken off. Absolutely. And you know, we almost, I see a lot of times today, kids, they'll text, they text their parents instead of walking down, you know, walking around the corner and saying, Hey, mom. Uh-huh. and That's I see true. parents doing that too. Uh-huh. I mean, you go out to a restaurant and you see a whole family sitting there with uh-huh. their phone. It breaks my and heart. Yeah. It breaks my mm-hmm. heart too, mm-hmm. because nothing is more important when we, when you ask anybody, what's the most important thing? My family. Mm-hmm. Well then show that, you know, spend yeah. that time with your family talking to them, not looking at your yeah. Yeah. But, but it's so addictive, you know, like what is it? And, and maybe you can and speak to this, the, the addictive nature of social media and screens and phones, like what is it that's going on when we keep reaching for our phone throughout the day? Well, we reach for our phone and, you know, we almost get addicted. And it used to be the world of addiction was drugs and alcohol. Mm-hmm. Well, that world of addiction has changed dramatically. Mm-hmm. It can be online gambling. It can be online pornography. It mm-hmm. can be cell phones. It can be social media. And what happens in the brain is you start doing something. And, oh, I like this. Well, then the brain starts releasing dopamine, which is a neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. And the more you do it, the more the brain releases the dopamine. And dopamine is a really feel-good neurotransmitter. Mm-hmm. And the brain, you know, those little nerve cells, if you do it, all the time, very intensely, those little nerve cells can get confused. It Mm. goes from, I like this, I like doing this, to, you know, I want to do that. I really want to do that. And then it gets to, I need to do that. I need that. Mm. So I think that, you know, what's going on in the brain with that reward circuit, that dopamine, those neurotransmitters, has a lot to do with how we interact, whether it's a phone or a screen. Mm. That's interesting. And then you take somebody who is maybe more prone to being depressed or, or something like that and maybe ha- suffer from low dopamine. I know for me, I did some genetic testing and um, <laughs> found out that I might struggle with lower dopamine naturally than other people. So something like this, it's like, ooh, it's a dopamine. But, you know, like I'm always yeah. trying to find good versions, of, you know, like exercise and other ways to stimulate dopamine in positive ways. But something like this for people who, are constantly looking for a dopamine hit like that's that can be really damaging right oh absolutely I think that you know now it's being recognized as the new addiction Hmm. and I think that we're going to see more and more of it and I think that it's interfering I saw actually I was uh, talked a a little while ago about a study that the University of Michigan put out Hmm. two-thirds of the parents said that they could not tell whether their kids were depressed or anxious and I oh, think, wow. my own opinion, I think it's because they're so used to looking at not really seeing their kid's yeah. uh, face because their kid's face is buried in a phone or a screen. Wow. I think that that has a role that it plays in it. Wow. That is so interesting. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, and I, I have a teenage daughter, she's 15 and we're actually the mean parents. We don't let her have social media, (laughs) um, but she does, you know, she texts her friends. She's on her phone quite a bit. And I notice the more she's on her phone, if she's on her phone 
a lot, it affects her attitude, you know, and her mood. And it, it definitely affects our interaction, you know, like I, I like to see her face to face and not just see her hunched over, you know, in phone mode. But it's always very convicting to me because when I see her doing that, and I'm like, oh my gosh, get off your phone. I'm like, wait a minute. I do the same thing, <laughs> you know? And so it's like a reflection of, oh, wow, okay, this is what it's like. Um, it's, it's, it's hard, mm -hmm. you know, because the, the kids can turn their homework in. Over oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, right. the phone is a very necessary tool. Mm -hmm. It's just having boundaries and mm -hmm. how, you know, how, when do you use it? How long do you use it? Mm -hmm. um, I think are important boundaries to set. Yeah. Do, do you think that our brains are up against, um, you know, these 21st century brain issues, um, all the, all the things that are happening, the neurodegenerative diseases and everything is, do you think it's, we're just up against a new set of challenges, whether it's toxins in the food, you know, um, the GMOs and blah, 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 you know, whatever, or the social media or TV usage or gaming, or, I mean, do you feel like we just have this new barrage of infection <laughs> heading towards our brain these days? Well, I do. You know, I think that life is so much more complicated. We have news, we have information coming at mm. us 24-7, and we get used to that, and we almost need that. That's why mm -hmm. a lot of people just pick up their phone, you know, just to see. Um, and particularly younger people, when they post something on Facebook or Instagram, if they don't immediately get a like, mm -hmm. get positive feedback, they're devastated. Mm -hmm. they're, yeah. they're, well, nobody even looked at that. Nobody cares about me. Right. And that's sending the wrong message. So I think that as, and it, it's just going to get more complicated, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much artificial intelligence out there right now mm -hmm. that, and it's going to just get worse. Yeah. I don't have Alexa because I don't want her listening to my life. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. It's just a lot. And I think, you know, kids, the kids these days, it, it, I'm worried more for them and, and being exposed. Like I didn't even get a cell phone until I was I'm mean, like 20, you know, um, but my kids learned to text before they could learn to write because they knew how to push the letters on the phone, you know, and it's like, that's just, that's the world for them. That's all they know. And they're up against so much. Um, so I think it is valuable to have resources like you and your book and to be aware of these things because if we're not aware, we're going to be on the defense. And I think it's important to be on the offense with our brain health. Wouldn't you agree? Um, Absolutely. I think it's better to be proactive than reactive. Yes, that's perfect. I agree. Oh yeah. 100%. Um, so I guess one last question here, you know, because this podcast is called Sparking Wholeness. Um, if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone towards wholeness, what would you say? You know what I would say? Thoughts have energy. Make sure yours are positive and powerful. I love that. That yeah. is exactly what I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's good. Because we do, we've got to start thinking about it all starts with what you're thinking. Negative thoughts create negative feelings, create negative behavior. Mm, yep. And nobody 
can change those negative thoughts except the person that's having them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, so good. Um, so where can people find more information about you? Where can people get the book? Um, how can people contact you? Well, you can always find, I have a website, the brain performance center. Uh, we're on Facebook. We're on Instagram. We're on LinkedIn. The book is available on my website, the brain performance center, and it's also available on Amazon. Okay. So I'm kind of everywhere. Not hard to find if you're, if you're looking. Great. Awesome. Well, um, thank you so, so much for taking the time to be on this call and um, on this, on this podcast. And (laughs) thank you for offering your wisdom and um, for the book. Like I said, I've got so many things underlined and highlighted, and I think that a lot of people are going to find value in that. And so definitely look for the book, Um, turn your brain on to get your game on because it is so important to take care of our brains and um, that will really impact every other part of our body. So any last words from you? Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks for tuning in to Sparking Wholeness. For more on all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul, check out my website, sparkingwholeness.com. Don't forget to be kind and subscribe to this show wherever you listen to podcasts. And to be really kind, you can leave a nice review. I like those.